we haven't just been, we haven't been scared. I think that we were, you know, in the tech space, you learn quickly. And I think that one of the fears that we had originally just not being experts in the space was the fact of somebody can easily copy, take, or do what you're trying to do. And I think getting rid of that fear and understanding that you have value and the value you bring is within what you're currently doing and not thinking that, oh, just because you have a, a mousetrap, somebody else is going to create that same mousetrap. I think you can't grow and scale with a fear with a fear mindset. Awesome Inc. presents the Kentucky Entrepreneur Hall of Fame, a show that highlights how people throughout the Commonwealth of Kentucky pursue their definition of awesome through entrepreneurship, technology, and innovation. What's up, everyone? Today, we're going to be talking with Chase Minifield, and Chase is a former defensive back for the Washington Redskins and three-time entrepreneur who was recently inducted into the 2019 class of Forbes 30 under 30. It's pretty impressive. He currently serves as CEO of EasyTurn, and EasyTurn is the only vendor management digital platform that enables property managers in the student housing business to more efficiently manage, invoice, and communicate with their contractors. In its first year, EasyTurn has acquired more than 30 clients and managed over $1 million in invoices. It's pretty sweet. Chase began his entrepreneurial career at the age of 25, post-NFL career, with his first company, Helping Hands LLC, which provides moving, cleaning, and apartment turnover services for both college dorms and student housing complexes. Hey guys, what's up? Thanks again for checking in today. We have Chase Minifield with Easy Turn, who is also uh, my personal bodyguard. So if you cross <laughs> me, heads up, he's gonna come at you. Uh, Chase has been such a such a great guy with helping out Awesome Inc. and just coming and supporting, honestly, all the different entrepreneurial events within Lexington. I know you've participated in Five Across Startup Weekend. He's just a good guy to have around. He's also got some some sweet jokes and probably some of the best swag I've seen anybody. <laughs> We're coming through these doors. So Chase, thanks again for coming in today. Super excited to just know more about your story and share it with all the people that listen in. And so uh, real first, how was, how was your weekend? It was good, man. You know, uh, I was here. I think that this is like we're recording towards the end of summer. So that's kind of like my like relaxation. Yeah. My, my zen. I'm starting to hit my zen mode. I'm going to go on, you know, a couple of vacations. Okay. Things of that nature. Hit the West Coast. That type nice. of thing. So, what, what part of the West Coast are you looking I'm for? I'm an LA guy. So, man, I went to LA earlier this summer and it is vastly different than Kentucky. Yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. So, it's uh, it, it was cool to see the actual big city. I think my favorite thing I did though, we went to, I went with one of my roommates and we went to Disneyland and oh, did yeah? it for like 14 hours. Yeah. It was awesome. And then we went to the next day, we went to, uh, took a tour of the CBS, uh, Warner Bros. lot. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry. Not the CBS, just the Warner Bros. lot. That was pretty sweet. Y'all were on the real tour. Yeah, it was yeah, yeah. Uh, it was pretty sweet. So hey, let's go ahead and dive in. Chase again. Um, I'm looking forward to what we're going to discuss with yeah, sure. all of your background because you're you're pretty diversified and it's pretty sweet with everything you've experienced. So real quickly, why don't you start us off? Tell us tell us about your story. You know, what is it? How did you end up in Kentucky? And then maybe just give a little intro into how your entrepreneurial background started. And yeah, we'll go from there. Sounds good, man. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on here for sure. Um, awesome. What they do in the community is tremendous. You know, without them, I'm not sure where we would be at. Um, as far as entrepreneurs and the tech space in Central Kentucky, I think they've been instrumental in that in that development. So for you know yourself and Keith, 
both Keiths. <laughs> Keith um, and Bun, what yeah. a guy. And Brian, so I really appreciate what these guys have done for people like myself um, and others around the community. So how did I get to Kentucky? Well, I think I was I was raised here, born and raised. Okay, me too. So nice. I'm from Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, for anybody from the area, I went to the Lexington School. That's a private elementary school, middle school. So I came up in a small school system. And then I went to Henry Clay High School, uh, graduated there, um, you know, football. I'm a sports player, so... I played football, basketball, baseball, all those things there. And then I went to the University of Virginia on a football scholarship. Played at the University of Virginia for four seasons, had one red shirt season. So I was in Charlottesville, Virginia for five years. Okay, nice. And ultimately got a chance to play in the NFL. I was an All-American at the University of Virginia. Got a chance to play in the NFL for the Washington Redskins. Played a few seasons there before injuries caught up with me. Mm-hmm. Ended up moving back home and started my first company. So that's pretty much like the the down and dirty, quick. The quick, the quick uh, version. The quick, it's the like your elevator 20, yeah, pitch yeah. of your life. I like it. I the like 25, it. 25 years quickly. Man. Know? Well, I don't know about you, but the fact that you did football, basketball, and baseball in high school blows me away because like, I feel like that's pretty common. But I did baseball, and it was always all year round, and we never had a break. So, that, that that was one of the issues why I had to stop playing baseball. But uh, Yeah, because it's always going it's, on. It's always going on. But I love baseball. Baseball was – I came up with Ben Revere. So Are ben, you kidding me? Ben and I played against each other a lot. Wow. Yeah, so we were going at it a lot. And I'm not sure if you know any other Henry Clay guys like Garrett Buehner. Uh, he's no, a pitcher now. Not for, the top I think of he's head. from the Dodgers. I just remember, so I used to be a huge Phillies fan back in like 08, 09 okay. with Jimmy Rollins, Chase Sutley, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim Victorino. They were stacked. Yeah. And I remember a couple years ago when I saw Ben Revere was like, Number one playing top ten ESPN. Oh, he stayed making hell yeah, catches. Did like a twenty five foot dive. That that's definitely an exaggeration, but it was nuts. Great, great. So, yeah. You know, Lexington has a lot of major league baseball players. Yeah, uh, I think it's the the most uh, prevalent sport where people are making it to the pros. That's pretty sweet. One of my one of my good friends from college, her husband, his name is Lincoln Hinsman, and he played baseball at U of L and was named the college baseball closer or stopper of the okay. year. And now he is with the White Sox farm system okay, so cool. he's he's amazing he's got a he's got a cannon got a cannon <laughs> so actually wait you said all american uh and then we'll, we'll kind of continue going. Yeah, yeah. have you watched that show on netflix i have it's great dude i watched it so when we went on this um this stage tour of like the wb sorry i'm i'm watching this what is it the warner bros sorry yeah, yeah. when we went on the the warner bros tour a lot we got to go see like the inside of that sound stage mm-hmm. and it was the only place where they said hey you can't film can't take any videos or pictures, all that, because this was just renewed for a season, and mm-hmm. we don't want to give anything away. So, you know, we're walking on, I don't know, it's it's probably like 50 yards. The set is not that big. Mm-hmm. But since cameras don't pick up 3D, or uh, they can't pick up 2D, it call comes across as 3D. Yeah. So, you know, they had just these, like, flat screens, and when I went back and watched the show, I was like, wait, that's not really there. That's not there. And yeah. so it was kind of cool to piece all together. Yeah. So, yeah, I watched that, and I've been telling a lot of my friends to start watching it who are... The behind like, the scenes of Hollywood. Yeah, man, it was sweet. There you go. Yeah, again, so, hey, you just touched on, you started your first company. So, again, looking at your background, you have had your hands all over the place with yeah. being a multi-sport athlete, mm-hmm. you know, playing in the NFL. I'd love to hear a little bit about that. And then yeah. to founding both Minifield Foundation and then Helping Hands. And mm-hmm. now you're working with Easy, Easy Turn. Turn. Yeah. So can you speak into a bit of each of those and how they've helped you ultimately get to where you are today? For sure. So I talk a lot about athletes transitioning out of sports. You know, from for the first 25 years of my life, athlete, athletics was my life. Mm-hmm. It was who I am. It was what I do. And I always had a goal of playing professionally. Uh, so once I got to professionally and I reached that goal, it was, you know, like, 
have you ever had a feeling of get somewhere and it's not really living up to what you expected because you built it up to be such this? Oh yeah, you put something thing. on a pedestal yeah, and then yeah. you get it and you're like, it, it wasn't that. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So it was fun and I enjoyed it. It was a great accomplishment. Um, but essentially, I think that I wasn't as successful as I expected to be mm-hmm. in the NFL, and I think it was for a purpose because I think I kind of became so attached to the game, so attached to the sport that it was it was literally fundamentally me. Yeah. And, you know, when I transitioned, I was having issues of like what to do next, where am I going next? Like surely I'm not because you see the game and you still see people playing that you know. And you're like, oh, okay, I've been better than this guy for my whole life. I've known this guy. He played behind me. Like it just seemed like it was an unfair draw of the straws. So until I feel that. Um I really had to figure out what to do next. And I came back home and I was trying to you know, and it, there's this there's this time as an athlete where you got to be like, okay, either I'm going to keep doing this and I'm going to keep training because you got to train like it's a job if you're going to really play at the, at the highest level. Like it's not, I'm going to go to work and I'm going to train for a couple, I'm going to go to the gym. You know how you, like right now you go work every day and you do like two hours in the gym. Like I do like eight hours, in, I'll do like six to eight hours in the gym back when I'm training, right? Instead of, and, and do like, you know, it's reversed. If that's what I'm saying. So yeah, it, so it's I, reversed. I get that. Yeah. So if, if, if I was going to be trying to play in the league, I'd have to treat that like a job. I'd have to train two, three times a day, uh, watch what I eat, all these different types of things like that. Like you got to be fully committed. And that just, that schedule really doesn't line up with somebody that's trying to go on with their life. That makes sense. Like Absolutely. You, you can't, you can't put in that amount of energy and effort into something and expect to do something else. If that makes sense for mm-hmm. everybody. Yeah. So, um, Essentially, I made a decision like, all right, um, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to try to create something. I started working at first. I had a job and I was had a boss, my dad, and he was uh, <laughs> he was like a micromanager. So, you know, he was the old school. Put your phone in the box when you come into the office. Give me a strong eight hours at the desk while I'm over top of your shoulder watching you complete your, your task and your jobs. So uh, I did that for a little while. And then I was like... Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to figure out something else because in the NFL, you got a lot of free time. You know, I got a lot of free time making a lot of money. So I was free to do what I want to do. I couldn't come back to a, a that structured of an environment where uh, I had somebody breathing down my neck and I wasn't even making that much money. Yeah. That makes sense. I, hey, I totally get that. And it's <laughs> it's actually, it's it's so interesting with how different our generations are. Yeah. So uh, one, of my, one of my friends has a mentor and he's been walk, walk, walking him through what it looks like uh, specifically in the church. Cause he's a yeah. worship pastor in town. And he's like, this is like one of the first times in history we've had four different generations all in the church, all in the workforce, you know, like our parents, they're, they, they are more along lines of tell us what to do and we'll do it. You know, mm-hmm. come in eight hours. Here's what I got to do done. Yeah. And we are more along lines of why am I doing this? Right. We want to know like, what's going to be the benefit. And then the people underneath us are like, why should I care? Right. And so it's, it's so interesting. Again, you said, you know, Put your phone in the box. It's yeah, like, that's not how I roll. I mean, if I can do my work in four, five, six hours, that should be fine, right? I'll put my heads down and do it, and then yeah. boom. Yeah. So that's how I thought. I thought exactly like you just said, and I also thought like the phone is the most powerful device we have in this uh, in this, this office. So yeah, why is everybody is one put, of them right now? Why are we putting that up? So that was my thought process with it. So essentially, I decided that I was growing my helping hands business, and I started helping hands as a way to give back to my friends and family in the community. So when I came back home, I was seeing a lot of my former friend or a lot of my friends that were still here and a lot of my family members that were struggling to get job opportunities, mm-hmm. you know, stuck in the system some type of way. They wasn't able to start progressing in life 
whether it was like, you know, child support unpaid. And you just start going back to like the system off some like little small nickel and dime things. And, you know, that really starts stunting people's growth. So I wanted to provide opportunity where, you know, I didn't need somebody that was a graduate or anything like that to be able to do work. And I wanted to provide opportunity to my city, to my people. And I started that with Helping Hands, originally thought of as a move-in day. We thought we was going to be able to provide move-in day help for the university and mm-hmm. off-campus housing properties. Um, so, and we, and we got a couple opportunities there, but they pushed us in the direction. We did a good job on a couple moving days. We did it like for free, but they said, Hey guys, you know, we're really not paying for budgeting for this moving day work. And I was like, why not? This is the most hectic time of the year. Like you got parents and everybody all over the grass. Yeah, everyone's freaking out. Yeah, and, Nobody knows yeah, what's going exactly. on. So I'm like, why aren't y'all budgeting for this? But they're like, well, it's, it's really more important for us to get ready for moving day with like getting the rooms ready and the dorms ready and making sure that when Johnny shows up, with his parents that he has a place to go that's acceptable to them because they're paying a lot of money yeah. for him to come to this school. So that's where they pushed us to. They pushed us to the actual uh, turn renovation of the rooms to get them ready, the cleaning, the painting, the maintenance. And so we started doing that and they're like, can you do that? And I'm like, of course I can do that. I've never turned down no opportunity. Yeah. So I'm a hustler. Yeah, that's what I do. So, I mean, we're going to find a way to make it work. One of my key models I live by is make a decision and make it right. So we, we decided we're going to do it. Uh, we did it pretty well. Our first year, we didn't have opportunity to do anything locally. We actually did it. We actually worked in Dayton, Ohio, and uh, Charlottesville, Virginia. So I had two properties going at once in those two areas. And then I was like, surely we can you know, do this everywhere around the country. So I, I, I leveraged my former teammates, and they were doing it. I, I allowed them to have like a franchise slash regional partner agreement. Sure with me where we would sell it all around the country and they would execute it at their area nice. or city that they okay. lived in. Cool. So, that's, that's a sweet way to give back. Yeah. So, um, they were doing the same thing I was doing here in Lexington and Philly and DC and Maryland and Charlotte and LA Vegas. Like we're in, we're in like 12 different places around the country right now doing the same thing. So when I say that, the, I'm glad the summer's over. I'm glad the summer's over. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> uh, but we're, but we're doing really well. We're, uh, we're able to, you know, we've, we've, we're we're a seven-figure company year annually. So, you know, it, it, it's going real well for us. But the frustrations that happened while working in that space, the college industry and the student housing industry has a very unique problem where they have mass exit. Mm-hmm. The only industry I know that in the, in the uh, residential space where everybody leaves, like it's not like multifamily housing where you might have three or four people maybe leave their complex. Like literally in student housing, everybody leaves at a certain date. Everybody comes back at a certain date. Yeah. And then they have that that window of vacancy. Yeah. Window of vacancy and everything has to be done. So it's a real, what contractors are really built to do that? You know what I'm saying? Like what cleaning company, what painting company. Yeah. With with such a high volume. Yeah, exactly. So that's not like, it's not a traditional workload. Yeah. And so I wanted to be the company with helping hands that, we just did that. Like, I don't try to do that stuff outside of like student housing. I wanted to be a student housing service company and be the only one that considered themselves that, branded it like that, instead of being a cleaning company that was a cleaning company trying to work in student housing. I wanted to be a student housing company that did cleaning, painting, and maintenance. Yeah. So that's how I rebranded it. And so, you know, right now, when Helping Hands comes up in the student housing industry, they know what we do. Uh, they know that we're built for what they specifically need. So... That's how we kind of we kind of did that thing. But in the process of doing it, I realized that not only do the contractors, is it hard to find contractors do that work, but the managers 
one, they're young. Mm-hmm. Two, it's a almost an impossible workload in like 14, 20 days, you know, where they got a, you're asking 25, 26 year old, usually a, a, a young lady that is going to deal with these contractors doing a lot of work in a short period of time. We have issues with invoicing, you have is, issues with communication, you have issues with scheduling to make sure that everything gets done in a short period of time. So I realized working in different areas of the country that everybody was having these problems. It wasn't just like a UK property or a Louisville property. This is a national problem. So that's when Easy Turn was born. Okay. We, we try to create a software that would allow for easier, more efficient management of vendors um, during this time space. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's evolved a little bit since then, but originally that's the original problem was that when things are moving really fast and it's chaotic, they were losing money and they were losing time. And we were going to provide them with a software solution that allowed for them to have better control during that space, during that space. Man, yeah, that's cool. So I, yeah, I didn't know that. Again, again, you've been around here for a while, so we've, we talked a little bit yeah. about this, but I didn't know that Eastern came out of Helping Hands and yeah. a problem with doing that. That's a really cool. Hey, so real quickly, um, again, yeah, you, you talked about Eastern, like what exactly it is that you guys are doing. Uh, you said this and it struck me. Can you talk about leveraging some of your teammates? Because that's something... I can only imagine was super rewarding and that it's probably still a good way to keep in touch with some of your old friends. But what does that look like again as a founder of a company now that you've moved out of the NFL? Are you, are you hiring them as like contractors themselves or employees or is it more so, hey, can you help me out with this? They're, they're, I'm empowering them to be entrepreneurs. Okay. So that's how I see it is as they're, I'm empowering them to give, be entrepreneurs because I like I said, I spoke on this, the difficulty of transitioning out of sports. I wanted to provide them with an easy jump into entrepreneurship and not have them go through that real tough space of figuring uh, out what yeah, you're going to do. Yeah, what's next. Yeah, yeah. so I, I try to provide all my, or anybody that's interested with an opportunity that's like a safe jump. I call it a safe jump because a lot of people are scared of entrepreneurship because they think it is a uh, a hard jump fall where you just like, maybe like, I kind of visualize it like a cliff, a cliff jump. And, you know, I've never cliff jumped, but. Man, yeah. I have, I'll tell you what, it's pretty exhilarating. Yeah. I'll, I'll show you a video. I, I would assume it would be. Yeah. yeah, I would assume it would be. And just in my thought process of what a cliff jump would feel like, I think that that's how people would view entrepreneurship. It's the fact of, do I want to jump? Do I not want to jump? And when I jump, am I like, how many things can go wrong, right? How many things can go wrong? And not having really that peace of mind, like, okay, I can really jump and be safe. So essentially what I'm trying to provide them with is the safe jump. Like put the, like, it's, I, want the, I want the cliff jump to feel like a, a pit jump, you know, like the little pits with the little ball, the foam balls and foam cubes yeah. and things like that. Like I want, like, I want them to trampoline. Yeah, I want to visualize it like that. Gym. Yeah, like sky zone <laughs> or something like that, where they like can jump into the foam pit. Like I wanted to feel like that into entrepreneurship, like taking that that cliff jump and turning it into a foam pit jump. Like that. So that's essentially what I thought my purpose was with helping my teammates and scaling that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and obviously it's been tremendous so far. They've been able to gain all the skills needed to learn about entrepreneurship. I mean, just giving them the basics. I mean, athletes already have the the groundwork, like oh, yeah. discipline, exactly. work hard. How, you, how else would you make it? All these different types of things like that. And I'm like, I just need to help you guys with like legal, uh, figuring out LLCs, uh, budgets, expenses, hire, fire, um, Google Google Drive, like just the, the small things of it, but necessary. So yeah, so with that, what does your team look like as a whole? I mean, so again, you're one of the founders. Is it you and another person or do you guys have... Kind of, helping Hands? Uh, well, actually with both Helping Hands and Easy Turn. Helping Hands, I'm the sole founder. Okay. Uh, and with Easy Turn, me, myself, and Lincoln, we, we Lincoln Ogata, 
He is a former maintenance and property manager locally here okay. in Lexington, and we kind of partnered up. I told him my vision of what the issue was that I was seeing on my side as a vendor, and he kind of said, well, we're having that same issue from the maintenance side and the property management side. So yeah. we brought up both of our visions together and, you know, started this thing in January 2018. And, you know, it's been exciting since then. Uh, we've added a, a developer on board since then. So it's really a three-person te- three team right now. Easy nice. So was Lincoln someone who did mostly student housing? Yeah, he okay. was a student housing guy. So he's kind of getting this brand now that, you know, he's the student housing expert. So I'm glad that he's building that, that kind of uh, following and it's only helping us. I love hearing that. That's sweet. Again, so if you were going to you know, talk to some Joe Schmo off the street, mm-hmm. what's the story that you would tell them about EasyTurn? You know, again, your, your product is a software to fix this problem within the student housing industry when, yeah. I guess, when the semester and school year ends and then also when it begins. Yeah, so what's the story that you would tell them? And then can you speak to some of those key decisions that you've made that have maybe set you apart with either helping hands and then that also led into EasyTurn? Mm-hmm. Well, for Easy Turn, I think Easy Turn is a platform that brings control back to the uncontrollables. And, you know, initially we thought of it just in the student housing space, but it's grown so much bigger than that to where whenever you have anybody that's remote working, this platform is going to be of value to you. And, you know, I have a lot of remote workers with helping hands. And once they leave my site, I really can't control them. So that's the new thing that I'm talking about is bringing control back to the uncontrollables. So we feel like our platform has that that ability and that space to allow for better communication, better organization, efficiency, and communication with um, anybody that's on your team that's remote or workers that are remote. So that's essentially what I would say about EasyTurn. Um, we've had some key decisions as far I mean, we're growing at an amazing pace right now. I think the Forbes 30 under 30 um Recognition was big for us. Uh, it allowed for us to get a lot of pub publicity that I don't think would have came um, prior to that. And that just came kind of came out of nowhere. But as far as like key decisions that I think we've made is that we haven't just been, we haven't been scared. I think that we were, you know, in the tech space, you learn quickly. And I think that one of the fears that we had originally just not being experts in the space was the fact of somebody can easily copy, take, or do what you're trying to do. And I think getting rid of that fear and understanding that you have value and the value you bring is within what you're currently doing and not thinking that, oh, just because you have a a mousetrap, somebody else is going to create that same mousetrap. I think you can't grow and scale with a fear fear mindset. So that's one of our biggest things. And, you know, we've been able to be in seven of the top 10 off-campus housing property management companies so far in a little bit over a year's time frame. And, you know, working with some of the bigger universities around the country. Uh, so we're, we're growing at a tremendous pace. I think our first year we were at 9,000 bed portfolio. And now we're at 50,000 uh, really quickly. And we'll probably do that again, if not more, going into our year three, I guess. Now. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. So you mentioned Forbes 3030. Actually, yeah, you, walk, you walked in wearing that hat. And so yeah, yeah. can you speak into that story real quickly? I don't wear the hat just to like be like, oh, 3030. No, yeah, that's, my, that's one of my better hats. I like the hat. No, you know it's, what I'm saying? It's pretty solid. <laughs> yeah, I like the hat. So uh, yeah, man, it, it kind of came out of nowhere. I really didn't even know about the 3030 list prior to this time last year. I didn't know about the list, put it that way. So in, in October, I got an email to apply 
for the summit to go to the summit and exhibit. Okay. And I never really heard of the summit. I looked into it. I said, this might be interesting. We got a little capital. Maybe we can uh, set up a booth or something to, to go get a little bit more recognition. And ultimately they accepted us. They liked our platform. They liked what we, they liked the student housing industry as a whole. And as far as the potential behind that and, you know, they really gave us an opportunity, gave us a chance to, you know, really grow from that space. So we went to the 30 Under 30 Summit. If anybody's ever been that's under 30 and they're looking at entrepreneurship, it's a good opportunity. You meet a lot of great people there. When we was there, we met a lot of potential investors. Uh, we met a lot of Forbes um, people as, as well. So, you know, they, they ultimately end up, one thing led to the next, and I end up, uh, they wanted, they told me to apply for the actual list, the 30 Under 30 list. So I did. Didn't think of anything of making it or anything like that, but ultimately I ended up making the list, which, you know, since then things have kind of taken off as far as my personal brand and, you know, the company's recognition of what we're doing. Man, that's sweet. Man, again, congratulations. That's such Thank a cool you. honor. And I remember when we heard that, we were all pretty pumped. We're like, oh, let's see what Chase is doing. Yeah. <laughs> so that's sweet, dude. Yeah, so you just mentioned that you your guys' portfolio went from about nine thousand beds to fifty k. Yes. Well, again, congratulations. That's super Thank awesome you. for your company. So, what does it actually look like to partner with a university or you know and or an apartment complex? Yeah. And, and I know even with the ones around Lexington, we've talked a little bit about that and how that looks. Uh, so, yeah, would you mind sharing maybe some of the schools you're working with if you yeah. can? And then you know, well, hope I don't like? get in any trouble, but. Um we yeah, we're, always say good things. Yeah, me. yeah. We're only we're we were obviously University of Kentucky has been very um they've been in since the jump. One of our first like big clients, if not the first big client. And they've allowed for us to be experimental in a growth phase. So, you know, allowing for us to make mistakes, correct them, and continue to see what the market needs. Uh so that that relationship has been um, you know, priceless to be honest with you. So we we really appreciate the their, I guess patience mm-hmm. with us from the beginning. Uh, but since then we've worked with Georgia College, um, Georgia um, Georgia College, University of New Haven, and uh, University of Southern California. So we'll be growing here faster. We'll probably you know have an opportunity to land some people like Ohio State and Coastal Carolina and some of these people coming up soon. It's a little longer of a sales cycle on the university side. Now, on the student housing side, if anybody's familiar with the Lexington area, you got, you know, 524 Angliana, you got Townhomes, Newtown Crossing, you got um, Letter 9, uh, the, the Wyatt, all those different I used to live places. Wyatt back in college. There, there were these places like that. So, most of these off-campus housing properties are owned by the same company, okay. managed by the same company. So, I would say there's about 8 to 10 players that are really cornering the market of student housing around the country. So, we knew that from the beginning is that if we can get into these top 8, then we're going to be able to have 90, 80% of the student housing market across the country. Uh, just to name one of our big players, American Campus Communities, the largest um, property management company for student housing in the country. I mean, they're on, they got, I think they got 171,000 properties or something like that. Some, Jeez, some ridiculous. Yeah, some ridiculous. But they're everywhere. You know, they're, you go to, um, Let's say you go to Stanford University, they probably got American Campus Communities property yeah, over somewhere. Some old yeah. rustic looking, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> super nice town. So, I mean, it's a great business plan, great yeah. business model when they started just buying up real estate around, you know, these universities and creating these, what millennials are looking for at the time, the the, the upscale uh, off-campus housing property, you know, as a great business model. So, essentially, that's where we had to get into. And those sales cycles are a lot smaller because you've got privatized housing where they can make quicker decisions. On the university side, you got governmentized housing where 
the, it's a little bit more red tape. So yeah. essentially we're moving at a fast pace, but the, the most beneficial thing about this are that we've gone through in this process is the fact that we're, we we still have value and you know, the value keeps getting validated even to like this day where with helping hands, I might work on a campus. I might work at a property that uses easy turn. I might work on a property that doesn't use easy turn. Okay. And I'm like, sure. this is still a tough process without this software. And I'm like, y'all need to really take a look at this. Not knowing that I'm playing, you know what I'm saying? I'm on both sides of the fence, but just being honest, like this is hard. You know, this is hard when you guys keep on giving me this sheet and paper and things are getting lost in the shuffle just because of the sheer volume. And these people are using it and then nothing is going wrong. I mean, obviously you still have a couple mistakes, but it's all documented. Everything is accountable. It's verified. So I love seeing the validation that what we created is going to be valuable. And I think that you can see it in as far as like how quickly we've grown, but to continue to see like, yeah, this is something that we should have did and we probably should have did a little earlier. Yeah. That's all I get that. Yeah. That's cool. And actually, so one of the things you said is eight to 10 players control a lot of the campus housing. So essentially if you get, I don't want to say if you get in bed with one of them, but yeah, you know, yeah. If, if you do in the business sense, yeah. Then that <laughs> that is kind of funny, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, but so if you make a deal with one of them, that just sets you up. Yeah. So, do you even see that within, like, maybe say Lexington? Yeah. If you get one of these guys, it's like, oh, we also have these other. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. it's a it's, a it's a small industry where they talk, and even better even better than that is the fact of if this person in Lexington says no, I can go to the corporate and they can basically push it down to everybody in their company's portfolio. So we do have two national accounts that we're excited about that are growing currently in the student housing space. Uh, ultimately, we want to have those eight big companies, student housing, yeah. national accounts that they they only know how to do it one way, and that would be the easy turn way. Hey, I like that. Yeah. The easy turn way. Yep. If you had a, had a little jingle, that's how you should. Yeah, be. yeah, yeah. You got to. Like you were talking about the swag earlier. Believe me, it goes across the board. <laughs> it goes across the board. That's yeah. good. Yeah, Chase. Yeah, again, thanks so much for sharing your story and just what what you've been doing with Easy Turn and Helping Hands. You know, that's really cool to see. You genuinely just wanted to help give back, and mm -hmm. that led into a company. They're like, "Oh wait, here's a problem we're facing. Let's even continue to make this better." So that's yeah. cool you're doing that. So, I actually think not to cut you off, but I actually think good. more cut people whenever more people should um, really take that mop, that that blueprint right there, and the fact of you can digitize life on a micro level. We're in a tech boom right now where technology is going to just continue to grow and control our way of life going forward. And the people that are actually in the industry on the ground will know how to fix it. Any, any day-to-day -day problems prior to the people that are just coding and just doing the tech space. So me being a third wave entrepreneur working in the space, I seen the problems of the space. Then I applied tech to it. I think there's a lot more opportunity for people around the country in the city, wherever you are to do that same process you are the only person that know your problems of your space. So and hey, take advantage of it. Yeah. Hey, thanks for sharing that. That's good. I think it's, that's cool just because you've had this experience that that's something you can see. And maybe if you would have known that three years ago when you guys started user turn, that could have even helped you right. a little different today. That's, that's cool. Again, I love everything we talked about, but I also want to get to know you and I want our, our listeners to get to know you a little bit as a human being. So yeah. who was your favorite NFL player growing up? My dad. Your dad. Yeah, my talk, dad. Talk football. about his story a little bit. My dad, uh, he's from Lexington, Kentucky, Henry Clay High School as well. Okay, I'm, uh, seeing, I'm seeing a yeah, there you go. pattern here. Family business. Uh, his name is Frank Minifield. He was um, a little better. I give. I say a little better, but I think that the cards just played out a little different. 
But he was a 1980s all-decade team for the Cleveland Browns. Wow. He's a um, one of the better players that's ever played in the National Football League for his position. So, you know, seeing him grow up or uh, come through, I didn't see much. But, you know, you obviously hear the stories, hear everything else. And you're from Lexington, Kentucky, where, you know, not too many people are coming and making it to the NFL from this space. So I think from Henry Clay High School, there's only four people that have made it to the NFL. And I'm, he's one of them, I'm one of them. Man, that's awesome. So, you know, it's, it's he's always been a mentor to me. He's still a mentor to, to, of mine. Uh, he's an entrepreneur now in that city. Does really well. And, uh, you know, he's been instrumental in my development. Okay, cool. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's cool. Yeah, man, like father, like son. So if your dad was your favorite player, does that also mean your favorite team was the Cleveland Browns? I, I, try, I always follow players. So, okay. you know, Randy Moss, Michael Vick, Deion Sanders, like, now LeBron James like those I follow players I don't really follow teams and I don't know if that makes me a bandwagon or what but you know at like, the end of the day fan, I see it as a, yeah, you're yeah. a fan of people yeah I'm a fan of people like I, I, I trust I, like, I, don't, I don't I'm not that loyal I might be that loyal to Kentucky basketball but any other space like you like the person I'm the person more than the team like that wait so if LeBron James when you set him for for a hot second I was trying to think what football team is he on yeah, <laughs> no, I know he's not basketball, yeah. if he was playing football what team would he be on uh, I think I know he's a Cleveland Brown fan, but I, I mean, if he did play football, he would probably be one of the better football players in the and that we've seen. To be honest with you, I think that you know, basketball players are probably the greatest. If they have a little toughness to them, they can be great football players. I don't know if great football players can be great basketball players, but great basketball players can probably be great football. Players. All right, LeBron James, if you ever hear this, your boy Chase wants to challenge you to one on one and whoop you. Hey, I, like I said, <laughs> if he wants to play wide receiver. And I'm playing Ooh. corner. You know, we can see what goes down. <laughs> that'd be funny, man. Yeah, that would be that would be nuts. Just show me your your huddle highlight reel after this, and we'll. Get we didn't have up. huddle when I was coming. Oh, up. for real? Yeah, VHS man, tapes. I just showed my age. <laughs> Dang, I'm sorry about that. VHS tapes, DVDs. So that's kind of funny because uh, I was telling my cousin, who's um, he plays at Frederick Douglass right now, and I was like, "You guys are lucky. You can just put your highlights on." Like I just like if you go on YouTube and look up my, you can find my Henry Clay High School highlights. Okay, but it's like I like put the DVD in the computer and then recorded the screen and then uploaded that video I that, that I recorded onto YouTube. But it's probably been on there since like 2006, whenever YouTube started. So it's, it's I got, I got those tapes on. There. I think I was probably one of the first athletes to put their highlights on YouTube. You should, you should go in. Hopefully you get royalties when, once this goes viral. Yeah, there you That'd go. Sweet. We'll take it. All right, Chase. Yeah. So you talked a lot about, you know, your, your family, your business, uh, a little more towards you. What motivates you? Like what gets you out of bed every morning? What makes you excited to wake up another day. I don't want to, I don't want to not reach my potential. I think fear of average or mediocre drives me daily. And, you know, being able to, there's one thing about me that I can, no matter where I'm at, when I wake up, I start, I hit the pavement. That's what I call it. I hit the pavement. And that's literally when I was playing for football, like I run at like 4.30, 5.30. But now in business, like as soon as I wake up, I get to work. I don't, like have downtime. I don't have a, I have a great habit of waking up and starting my day productively. Um, so essentially I would say my motivation is accomplishing everything that God has intended you to be here for. That's, That's my motivation. I like that dude. That's good. That's good to hear. So for you, what does success look like? Not, not in terms of business, but for you personally. Success to me is basically feeling like you can look in the mirror and be like, okay with what you've done. And what you what you're doing, being okay with the person in the mirror, the man in the mirror, 
the Michael Jackson song. You could play that. You should drop this and play it right now. Awesome. But uh, I might do a, just a snippet of. It. I don't, <laughs> I don't want any copyright issues. Just a snippet. Come our way. But um, the man in the mirror, man, is a is a real thing. And if you can be okay with the man in the mirror, then I think that's success. What does success look like for Easy Turn? And then also, maybe what's a what's failure to you, and also in your eyes, and just in the business sense. Um. So Easy Turn success. I I want to say that I feel like success for us will be revolutionizing how things are done going forward, being an industry disrupting product and people don't understand how they did it before when they use easy turn. So I think our product is that sticky to the point where once they use it, I actually heard from a couple of users this year, like they said, I can't believe I actually did it differently before this. So being that type of revolutionary product and, you know, I just sit around and I see Ubers and Lyfts, coming up to the door all the time at the airport or like at a bar or something. And you're just like, that is industry disrupting. That is a revolutionary product where you change the way people do things. You change the way life is lived. And I think that we have that ability in our space. So that's what I would say is a success for easy turn. As far as failure, I don't feel like you fail. I feel like you learn. And the only thing that, and the only time you fail is when you don't get back up. Um, And a lot of people ask me as far as like, you know, how do I deal with failure and how am I, I think one of the reasons why I'm great or good in entrepreneurship is the fact that I'm not scared to fail. I'm not scared to fall. And I built that through sports, being hurt with ACL injuries and Achilles tears and all these different types of things that, you know, basically flatten your tire and sideline you yeah. from, from doing what you love to do. But in that same t- time, it builds resilience and perseverance and persistence. So those same qualities have allowed me to not be a fearful, um, but a faithful entrepreneur. That's sweet. So what has been the one thing that's happened in, in your business career so far as an entrepreneur that you would have never expected? Maybe something super tragic, like, yeah, I woke up and had a dollar in my bank account or something along the lines of, we just landed this deal. Holy smokes. I'm freaking out. Cause this is amazing. There you go. Helping hands had a growth pace that was in a very exaggerated, fast growth pace to the point, I'll just throw numbers out there. Like my first year we did 30K and then my next year we did 400. Then my next year we did 800. You jumped from 30K to 400 to, 400 to 800. Oh my gosh. In three years. Wow. Um, dude, that's awesome. And we're still growing. So that pace that we were growing at, I think I had, I learned a lot in that space to the point where one time I had like 200 people I were paying, 250 people I were paying. And I was like, yo, this is too much. I got to scale back and figure out a way to scale faster without my workload getting more. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where the, 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 how we were able to double again the next year. So uh, those type of learning curves, I think they're hard, but they're necessary. So that's what I would say is um, something that really shocked me was when we had, when I had, a, when I literally had like a, I printed like 200 checks on a Friday and had to get my people paid and they were all being paid through my company. I was like, yeah, I'm going to have to find more to find some way to do this better. So it was cool though. Yeah. That's a cool experience to look back on. Hopefully you have that first check framed in a picture frame or something. (laughs) I think I need to uh, have my, I think I need to have my doctor's note frame for me having to go in to see the doctor. Like you, are you good? Are you stressed? Yeah. You say I'm stressed. I got 250 people waiting for their checks. (laughs) At my door knocking. Yeah, so. Well, Chase, again, hey, thanks so much for joining us. And as we we wrap up right here, again, 
we, we want to help people pursue their definition of awesome. So if you could yeah. give any entrepreneur, again, think someone who's 12 to 50, whatever, yeah. and they're listening right now, what would be your tidbit of advice or maybe something that you said, hey, if I could told myself five years ago, this yeah. would help me immensely? I would say, and this is kind of, I guess, might go with this, my last story, but okay. get good, get great, and then get greedy. So I feel like people put greedy before great. And they're only good at what they do. And that was kind of what I ran into when I had the 250 workers is that I wasn't at the place where my system was great yet. Now I have a great system and I can grow at a greedy pace. But then I wasn't great. And that's kind of what we're doing with Easy Turn is we're getting our product. It's good right now. We got to get our product great. And then we can start getting greedy. And that goes for life in general is that don't skip steps. Don't skip steps. Understand that there's a process and in the process comes growth. And when it's time to get greedy, you can get greedy. But if you get greedy too fast, you'll basically end yourself, injured opportunities, um, come into a lot of problems that could have been avoided. So get good, get, get great, then get greedy. Love it, brother. There you go. Chase, thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. No doubt, man. Appreciate it. All right. Well, that's it. We want to say thank you again so much for checking out the Kentucky Entrepreneur Hall of Fame podcast. Special thanks to Lee Rosevere for the music that you hear in the show and to Lexington's Awesome Inc. for hosting us from their space. Again, I'm Garrett Farbach. Make sure to check back and tune in next time. We'll see you then.